You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Turn for our scripture reading to Romans chapter 3. We begin at verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. In this section in the Catechism, we've just finished learning what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. And then we come to Lord's Day 23. So that first question in Lord's Day 23 has to do with what we believe as expressed in the Apostles' Creed. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? In Christ, I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments, I've never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin. And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. If only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? 
Not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, for only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon, in the Catechism, we come to the Lord's Day about justification. You can see it there. It's not in the Lord's Day. The content is, but the title above Lord's Day 23 says, Our Justification. This is the section in which we speak about justification. Justification is a a strange word, isn't it? It's one I think that it's honored, respected, appreciated among us. But yet it is a strange word. It's such a technical word, justification. It seems like it's something that really only Christians know anything about, ever speak of in the context that we speak of. If you speak to someone on the street about justification, they may well have no idea what you're talking about. So only Christians ever talk about it, and maybe it's only Reformed people that get really excited about it. But in reality, even though perhaps not everyone knows the word or the technical meaning of justification, everyone pursues justification. So it's not just a word for some small group of people. It is for everyone, and whether they know it or not, they pursue justification. Anyone who is self-consciously aware of what they're doing, anyone who has goals, anyone who has some inner or outer motivation for the things that they do, how they live their lives, all these people pursue justification. Justification. Think about it. Why do we do the things that we do? Why why do we make the decisions that we make? Why do we buy the things that we buy? It's because we're motivated to conform to some standard. There's some standard that we know about. There's some set of rules. And we want to be satisfactory in light of those rules. It's why you cut your grass. Because you want to conform to the standard that says everyone should have their front lawn cut. We want to be accepted. We want to be in the right. For example, I've heard it said that people on the West Coast of both Canada and the United States believe in justification by recycling. That is, you are a satisfactory person. You are accepted, you are in the right on the West Coast if you show proper concern for the environment. Many Canadians believe in justification by niceness or by politeness. We think that if you stay out of the way, if you live like a happy, normal person, if you don't stick out, then you are a satisfactory person. You're acceptable. You're declared to be a good Canadian by that standard that our culture of Canadians has uh, erected. Now, for some, of course, 
They don't want to live like that. They don't feel they're justified by niceness. So and they think niceness is weakness. So these people are justified by power. As long as they've got power, then they can do what they want to do. They're justified by truth. The standard that they want to conform to is truth in all things. They're justified by winning. What counts at the end of the day is that you won. You won the hockey game. You won the argument. You won whatever contest your mind created you or convinced you that you were in. And we could go on about all sorts of ways that we, that people, pursue justification. Whether they call it justification or not. Everyone conforms to some standard, some law, in order to find acceptance. Now wait, you might say. What about someone who breaks the law, right? We've got a standard. It's called the Criminal Code of Canada. And you have to conform to that. So what about someone who breaks that kind of a standard or any other standard? What about an overt, hardened criminal? Well, they would also be pursuing justification, but they just have a different set of rules, don't they? If someone is arrested for theft, they are not right, they're not satisfactory in the eyes of the criminal justice code, but they very well may have been right in their own eyes. There was a reason That they stole what they did. Perhaps they stole something to impress their friends. And so it was their friend's rule, their friend's law, that they were seeking to be right before. Maybe they they stole something to regain what they had lost, and, and that made it right for them to steal. Maybe they stole to feed an addiction, and that made it right for them to steal. There are many reasons why they might have broken the law. But you can be sure that at the same time, they were conforming to some other law. Some other law in their mind or some other law that that they thought they should conform to. What they were doing was justified to them. What they were pursuing in that act was justification. So justification isn't just the concern of, of overly doctrinally inclined Christians. It's not just the concern of Christians. It's the concern of all people. Justification is your concern, whether you like it or whether you realize it or not. But brothers and sisters, while there are many ways to be justified and many ways to seek justification and many justifiers, people who will pronounce rightness and and righteousness according to their or some other standard, there's only one justification that really matters. There's only one justification that really matters. And that is the one that we will pay attention to this afternoon when we consider how through Christ we are justified. Through Christ we are justified. And we'll go through answering the questions that you have on your liturgy sheet before you. What does it mean that we're justified through Christ? By whom are we justified? Who's the justifier? How are we justified? How How do we get that? How do we make it our own? Why would we be justified? Why at the end of the day would we be considered righteous, right, innocent? So what does it mean that in Christ we are justified? What does it mean to be justified? 
As we discussed already, we can use that word justified in, in so many different contexts. But the meaning that we're concerned with this afternoon is the meaning that the Bible gives us. So what does justification mean from a scriptural sense? Well, the Bible uses the word justification in the vast majority of cases in a very technical way. It's a technical term with a, with quite a narrow definition, a narrow range of what it could possibly mean. And it means, in a, in a simple sense, to be declared righteous. So to be justified means to be declared righteous. Romans 3 verse 20, we, uh, just, the, the verse just before what we read together. Paul writes, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. No one will be justified in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. To be justified is to be declared innocent. That someone has said that you are innocent, that you are righteous, you are in the right Where do we hear about this most outside of the church? Probably in a legal court. In legal courts. Maybe you remember the case uh, of George Zimmerman. I'm not sure why this one came to mind, but it was a well-known case about a, a man in Florida by the name of George Zimmerman. You probably heard about it on the radio read it in the news, watched it on the news. The man was, was charged with shooting and killing a man by the name of Trayvon Martin. The shooting was well publicized. The trial was very controversial. The the result, in fact, also was very controversial. But at the end of it, George Zimmerman was acquitted. Was acquitted. He was declared innocent. He was justified. He had, in fact, shot and killed Trayvon Martin. But in the eyes of the court... He was justified in doing that. And so he was declared innocent so that he could walk away from that courtroom a free man. Now, of course, and that example makes it clear, if you're declared innocent, it means that at one time you were charged with breaking the law, right? So why would we need to be acquitted? Why would we need to be justified? Well, because we deserve God's punishment according to his righteous judgment. The catechism has already, many Lord's Days ago, explained this. In Lord's Days 4 and 5, sin committed against the most high majesty of God must also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. And in Lord's Day 5 says, since we deserve God's temporal and eternal punishment. How can we escape this punishment? So we understand already that we deserve punishment. We are guilty of breaking God's law. Romans 3 verse 23. For all have sinned. Paul's being very comprehensive there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But notice what the catechism says here in Lord's Day 23. Notice that it actually doesn't bring up God's judgment. 
Instead, it raises the judgment of our own conscience. It says, although my conscience accuses me. Now, what's that all about? You say, why, why doesn't this speak about God's judgment here in the catechism? Well, we have to remember that the Heidelberg Catechism is the confession of the Christian, right? The confession of the Christian. It's the words of someone who finds their only, their, their only comfort in life and death in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares that he has paid for our sin. That he has conformed to God's judgment for us. The Christian doesn't stand under the verdict of God's judgment. Now, if you're not a Christian, then it is most certainly true that you do stand under the verdict of God's judgment. It's still, God's law still stands against you if you do not believe in Jesus Christ. But, even when we're in Christ, we still face the accusation of guilt, don't we? The accusation of transgression. The accusation of our our terrible weakness. Satan tries to convince us that we are unworthy of God's love. That we are unworthy of salvation. He is the accuser who accuses us constantly. And so even even when you're a Christian, it's not as though you forget that you had ever been a sinner or that your sins could possibly deserve God's judgment. You don't forget that when you're a Christian. Satan doesn't let you forget that when you're a Christian. And, And neither do we forget that ourselves, our own consciences accuse us. Our own consciences know the sin within us. They know us as well as or better than anyone knows us. They know that we sin. They know that our conscience knows that we don't conform to God's law. Our conscience knows about our inclinations, the deep inclinations of our hearts. Even the great apostle Paul, remember, said and called himself the worst of sinners. He knew his sin. And what charge do our consciences bring against us? Well, they tell us that we have sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, that we are still inclined to all evil. In other words, that you and I don't deserve to be acquitted. People who are guilty, this is three different ways of stating our guilt, Sinned against God's commandments, never kept any of them, still inclined to all evil. The standard is God's law. We don't measure up to that standard. Therefore, we don't deserve to be justified. We don't deserve to be declared innocent by God. And here, brothers and sisters, we get to the very heart of justification, of biblical Justification. Here's the substance of justification. The justification that Paul announces in Romans 3 verse 21. Where he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify. It's not on account of our own righteousness. 
It's not because we do conform to God's standard. It's not because we do keep all his commands. Never break any of them. And are always inclined to all righteousness that we are justified. No, it's because of the righteousness, the satisfaction, the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in verse 25 of Romans 3, God presented him, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. God imputes to you, God imputes to me, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Notice how those three characteristics of Christ's work line up with those three charges that were brought against us. Outside of Christ, those three charges would be brought by the judgment of God. Inside of Christ, we continue to hear those charges brought by our own consciences and by Satan. But notice how the work of Jesus Christ lines up with all three of those charges. His satisfaction is the punishment for my sin. His righteousness is the perfect obedience for all of the demands of God's commandments. And His holiness covers over all of my corrupt, crooked, sinful desires. Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we're justified. In Jesus Christ, our sins are not held against us. This is, this is breaking it down to its simplest. This is what justification is. In Christ, our sins are not held against us, but they're forgiven. In Christ, our sins are not held against us. They're forgiven because he died for them. That's one part of why we can be justified. And second, his perfect obedience, Christ's righteousness, and the holiness with which he fulfilled all God's law, lived a perfect life of love, is applied to us. That's why we can be justified. Because our sins are forgiven. And we're given a righteousness, not our own. A perfect righteousness that Christ has accomplished for us. That is what it means to be truly justified. Truly, completely, once and for all, accounted righteous before the only judgment seat, the only court, the only judge that really matters, that of God. That brings us then to our next point. By whom are we justified? Who justifies us? Well, simple. God does. God is the justifier. It's so simple, but it's so easily forgotten, isn't it? Because we often seek justification not from God. We often do the things that we do. We often act the way that we act because we're seeking justification not from God. Not remembering that we have justification from God, but we're seeking justification from our neighbors. We want to conform to their standard from friends. We want to conform to the standard that they've erected for us, how we should live, how we should act from parents, from children, even 
We drive ourselves crazy trying to conform to the standards of others. But there's only one justification that really matters. And that's the one before God. Now, if you do not know Jesus Christ, then this is terrifying, isn't it? To know that there's only one justification that really matters. There's only one person's judgment that really counts, both today and forever. And that's why no one outside of Jesus Christ wants to acknowledge this truth. Because it's terrifying. Outside of Christ, there is no justification before God. And so there's only all these other kinds of justification. And so people are driven to all kinds of ends in pursuit of justification. We can deny our wrongdoings. Say, well, I, I wasn't acting according to that standard. We can seek justification in excelling in our jobs, in raising perfect children, in being a perfect wife or a perfect husband, or whatever standard it is that you might erect. Outside of God's standard. In fact, you can even erect the standard of God's standard. And seek to live a perfect life before him in order to be justified. And that's what those who don't know Jesus Christ are driven to. Because they have no justification. And yes, this is also what happens to those who know Christ but who allow those accusations that are coming in your minds. Allow their own consciences, allow the the message of Satan, allow the standards of other peoples to penetrate their hearts as they forget where their justification comes from. So brothers and sisters, we have to remember, who is the one who justifies? There's only one who justifies God is the one, as Paul declares in Romans 3, verse 26, who is just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Our gracious God is the one who justifies us. He is the only one who has the power, the authority to declare finally and definitively through Christ, you are once and for all righteous, innocent, acquitted for any wrongdoing. And how can he make this declaration about us? We come to the third point. How are we justified? Well, you can speak of, of that. You can answer the how in several different ways. Of course, how there's the, the declaration. How are we justified? Well, because God declares us to be righteous. Or you can think of, of the work of Jesus Christ. How does God declare us righteous? Well, because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because of, of his perfect life. Because of his atoning death. Because of his complete holiness. But how does it happen from our side? How does it happen from our side? What do we have to do, you might say? Pragmatic, efficiency-minded, results-oriented people that we are, we want the task list from God, don't we? How do we get this declaration? Okay, that's how justification works. How do we do it? Let's just do it. Let's get her done. 
And this is the common human reaction to justification. We think we can work out our own justification. We think we can accomplish something, do something. Maybe we, okay, we forgot about trying to justify ourselves before everyone else. We only want to do it before God, but we still think we have to do it. All forms of justification which are not true biblical justification are justifications by works, by doing. What do we have to accomplish to get this declaration from God? But our works don't measure up. Of course not. We already acknowledge. We know that we are, we are sinful people. We don't measure up before God. We can't be justified on the basis of works. Not even by doing the right kind of works. Not even by knowing God's law perfectly and striving with everything that we have to do His law can we be justified. Romans 3 verse 20 again. No one will be declared righteous in His sight by observing the law. Even the law that Paul's talking about there is God's law. The law revered by the Jews, revered even by Paul. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing that law. Why not? Because we have all fallen, fallen, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The very nature of justification is that it cannot be by works. Works have to be cast off, put away, put out of our mind. If we're justified by works, we fail. No sooner do we start than we fail. We can only be justified by faith. We can only be declared righteous on the basis of someone else's merit because we have no merit of our own. That someone who bears our sins and who accomplishes our obedience is, of course, Jesus Christ. And so since we can't be justified by works, we can only be justified by faith. By not working, but by trusting. Romans 4 verse 5. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. You don't have to conform. To God's perfect standard. You can't conform. To God's perfect standard. God doesn't justify. The perfectly righteous. He justifies the wicked. He justifies sinners. By faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the instrument by which we we understand. And accept and trust in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So what does justifying faith do? What it does is it, it abandons all hope in, in the person who has faith. And it looks to God, the very judge himself. And believes that he is also the justifier. The one who sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It looks to Jesus Christ so that we can receive his righteousness and be favored by God. 
So then if justification is not by works, it's not by God measuring off all those who do the best job of conforming to his standard, then why does God justify us? Why does God justify us? Well, it's not on the worthiness of ourselves. It's not even on the worthiness of our faith. It's by grace. By mere grace. That word mere, the way it's used here, is not a way that we often use that word anymore, but it means pure. Out of pure grace. Better than dove pure. Not 99 and 44 one hundredths pure, but 100% pure grace from God. Undeserved favor to us. It's a gift that God gives to his chosen ones that proceeds from the mysterious place of his own good favor. Why does he justify us? We can say nothing more than by his grace. By his good favor. And certainly not on the basis of our merit. But on the basis of Christ's merit. Because the justification that really matters. Is that which is by faith. In Jesus Christ. Through the grace. That God shows to sinners. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.